the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to a new episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. I no longer buy Levi's. Levi's jeans, that once great American company. Why? I tend to not support companies that don't share my values. And Levi's, while once a great American company, no longer shares my values. And it changed for me when their president of the Levi's brand, Jennifer Say, started tweeting out during the pandemic lockdowns about why are we locking down kids? There are kids in inner city San Francisco who don't have a shot right now. They're missing out on socializing. They're missing out on reading and math. And she got shunned by the Levi's Corporation. She was on the track to be the CEO of Levi Strauss. And instead, they tried to buy her out. She said, no, thanks. She turned down the money. She said, I want to have the freedom to speak my mind. She left Levi's, left San Francisco. She's doing a lot with her life ever since, including joining this show three times previous to today. And today we'll talk about a new project she has coming up, a documentary film you've got to hear about. Jennifer Say is next. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya Podcast. Jennifer, welcome back. You are making your unprecedented fourth appearance the only guest on my show to be on four times. Welcome. I'm so honored. It's nice to see you, Michelle. I think it's, it's the third, isn't it? Is it No, because one time you were on with your husband. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me yeah, so many is, times. Yeah, well, you know what? It, it proves that you're busy doing important things, and I like to <laughs> amplify that. And most recently, right now, you're in the middle of this film. P- people should remember to go out and get her book, Levi's Unbuttoned, which you can find uh, at, at sayeverything.com. You can find it at her Twitter feed, et cetera, et cetera. But um, this film that you're putting together right now, I, I, I watched the trailer again just before you and I connected because it is, it is powerful. And I wanted to be reminded of that time. So many of us want to put it out of our memories because for, for parents and kids, it was really painful, but it's important to remember painful things. What prompted you to want to make this documentary about this generation COVID? It's that. It's exactly that, Michelle, that people, you know, for those of us who were aware of how wrongheaded it was, it's painful to remember. For those of us, not us, for those who cheered it on, they want to forget it and sweep it under the rug because it was so catastrophically wrong. And I I mean, the people in charge who actually made the decisions to keep schools closed um, and and the parents who enthusiastically supported it. I think it's so clear, you know, the evidence is in, it's so clear how wrongheaded it was. Um, and you have countries that did not do that and children are faring much better. Um, the states that did not choose to keep schools closed for 18 months are faring better in terms of educational outcomes. And so everybody wants to sweep it under the rug and we cannot. Because we are losing a generation of children here. And 
I have no confidence that it won't happen again unless there is a real reckoning and a real sort of acknowledgement that this was a terrible mistake and we've harmed children. We need to help them get back on track and we can never do this again. And I feel like film is a powerful vehicle to do that. I agree. You are the mother of four. I've got two. And I I know my older one really suffered during the lockdowns. Um, And you, but you saw it. I think we both agree on this. We were able to sort of sit back and say, it's not just our kids that are getting hurt here. We see inner city kids in particular who don't have a lot of alternatives. And, you know, we cared about that. Why did it matter so much to you? You know, I think a better question is why didn't it matter to anyone else? (laughs) I mean, honestly, I don't, I will never really understand it. And it didn't take, it didn't take a genius to really think about now, you know, I have four children and they've done fine. You know, they have every privilege imaginable. Still the isolation was very difficult. You know, for one of my children, my third, he was just starting kindergarten that year. It's a terrible first experience of school to be online. He wasn't learning and we, he hated it and we didn't make him do it. But they're all they're all doing fine. But I knew my children were and are in public school. But at the time in San Francisco, and I knew their friends. I knew the situations at home. I knew that a lot of kids were taking care of younger siblings, um, perhaps had gone to work to help the family out and weren't even attending school. But I didn't need to know these kids to know that was happening. I mean, again, it doesn't take <laughs> a lot of thought and empathy to figure that out. And yet, we were com- we collectively were completely unwilling to think that through. Now, of course, all that is what happened. And we, we talk about that and we show families that went through that um, in the film. But if you raised any of that, you know, and I know you were painted as a monster and a murderer, when in fact, the exact opposite was true. The unempathetic position was to keep kids at home, locked at home in their rooms alone for a year and a half. That was the position that lacked empathy. Absolutely lacked empathy and vision and foresight and a a whole lot of other things. We know certainly about the academic issues that this brought on and certainly about for for kids less fortunate, uh, how many of them just dropped out of school altogether and many have not gone back. How did you go about finding the people to talk to who were willing to share their stories? Yeah, you know, it was, I'm not a journalist, but I sort of found myself in that, in that position. You know, I made a documentary film before called Athlete A, which folks can watch on Netflix. And that was really different because I knew all the players, you know, so it was just a matter of kind of reaching out and uh, building the trust um, so that they would want to participate. This, you think about how many millions of families were impacted. So my goal was to find kids and families across the country in a variety of geographies. So that was the first thing is I wanted a lot of states represented because all states policies were different. Right. And I wanted a range of backgrounds. I wanted, you know, a a range of kind of family incomes. And we have one family that uh, an immigrant family. And I just we have a family with a a developmentally disabled child in Portland, Oregon. Um, gosh, it goes on and on. We have low income, middle income, you know, just everything, the gamut. And we have mental health impacts represented, learning loss, dropping out. We have all of it. And I just, you know, I've been involved in advocating for open schools for so long. I've become part of this community. And I just started talking to people and asked if they knew families and kids that were impacted. I talked to hundreds, you know, of kids and families to get to the 10 that we feature. 
Um, I wanted to make sure we weren't just showing the most catastrophic examples, because then, of course, I'll get accused of catastrophizing, though we do have a family that lost a child to suicide. But it's the everyday um, indecency of this thing, you know, for the kids who just stop caring. You know, there's a lot of kids out there. School is so much more than education. It's your community. You know, there's a mom in Oakland who describes this for us. And, you know, for some kids, the education part isn't the part that matters that much, you know, but it's the structure and the community and it's playing sports. Um, It's getting positive reinforcement on a bad day from a teacher. We just took that away. We took it away from children. Think back to when you were a kid. School was kind of everything. It was your whole life. And we just said, nope, that doesn't matter. And I think what just astonishes me and has from the beginning is we sent kids the message that they come last. Their education doesn't matter. Um, None of it matters. And we said to them, if you're upset about this and you're mad that you're missing prom, then you're a selfish jerk. Yes. So we not only told them they didn't matter, we told them if they were struggling, that they were bad people. Do we really think that's not going to have a long-term impact on a generation of kids? I mean, come on, use your head. So that's what we're trying to represent. But, you know, I just kind of followed the path and the breadcrumbs. I talked to one family and then another, and then they referred me to another. One of the really interesting parts of the film is the, the, the stories of the parents, because in many instances, these parents were very much on board with closures. You know, they were scared in the beginning. And about two or three months in, they all started to see the harms to their children. And they started advocating in their own communities for open schools. And many of them were just you know, pillory. They lost friends. Um, One woman describes um, people called into her job to get her fired, saying she was a racist. This is the mom with a Down syndrome child, um, that she hated her most difficult child. And that's why she wanted, I mean, this, they called her work Uh, to say these things. It's, it was like lynch mobs really. And Jennifer, I do consider you a journalist and you're, you're, you're the perfect person to represent these families, all varieties, because you got, you got it too. You went out there and you (laughs) wanted to say, what are we doing? And you did say those things and it's, and your company tried to stop you. Levi's tried to stop you. They couldn't. So they, they unceremoniously found another way to, to try to shut you up. It has not worked. Thank God. But I mean, you, you suffered a, an extreme price for saying what you believed about this. Would you do it again? I absolutely would. I mean, yeah, it's a huge bummer. You know, <laughs> I thought I would spend my career and end my career at Levi's. I spent 23 years there. I love the company and I love the brand. That's not how it worked out. But for me, the risk of not speaking up was so much greater and not just because of children, although, of course, that was my primary concern. But what became clearer and clearer to me um, as things went on is actual freedom was at stake, you know, freedom of speech, which is, I would argue, the most foundational right in Mm -hmm. our country. If we don't have that, um, we kind of we don't we don't live in a free country. And the fact is, if there had been open debate about this, and if people like me weren't shunted off to the side and smeared, and people more knowledgeable than me, doctors like, you know, Dr. Bhattacharya and all the doctors at this point that we know were blacklisted and smeared, if we'd had an open debate about this, we would have gotten to a very different answer 
much sooner and children would have been harmed in the same way. And so that's why it's so fundamental, because truth can't just be what the government says it is like that's that's terrifying. If if truth is what the government says it is, you're right. That's authoritarianism. That's authoritarianism. And so for me, I just even though the outcome for me personally was less than ideal, the alternative was much scarier to me. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that, that 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 freedom of speech. It, it was astonishing to live through. It was astonishing to see people like Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who is in your film, to to have him not only just ignored, but as you said, just blackballed. And still he you mentioned his name and it's almost as though there's this scarlet letter next to it that suggests he was not on board during the pandemic. Right. Similar, you know, there are, there are others one. like him, but yeah. he was certainly I mean, one I, of them. Yeah, I mean, I have one in the corporate world, you know, yeah. like it doesn't matter that people like Jay and people like me at this point, people like you, we were right. Find one thing I was wrong about. Find one thing, you know, yeah. and not only right, but I and I know Jay as well. We were always very diplomatic. You know, we were never nasty. We didn't call anyone names. Like there was nothing in how I conducted myself that I feel regretful about. And yet I am unhirable because what, once you paint yourself, it doesn't matter. I've got lots of stuff coming and some of it, you know, about which we won't talk about just yet. But once you paint yourself as somebody that won't obey the rules in corporate America in particular, and you know, you spent time there, Mm -hmm. um, different sector in media. But if you paint your, if you are someone who will not obey the rules and read from the scripts, they don't want you. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. It's it's really... It's really... it, It feels like, you know, we should be getting past that given how everything you said now can be looked at and said, see, she was right. Where was she doesn't, wrong? She was not wrong. So isn't that crazy? It, it is crazy. Doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't seem to matter. Now I, I hope that in time this will, will alter. I, I'm, I'm not sure when you have shows on television, like the view that continue to vilify anyone that doesn't sing from their hymnal. It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. And it convinces a certain number of people. I am hoping, uh, beyond hope, but I'm hoping that more people, you're an inspiration, uh, people that are willing to have the courage to speak up. I'm wondering if if there, of all the people that you talked to, and you, you narrowed it down to 10 families, yeah. was there a, another family on the bubble, so to speak, that didn't make the film that whose story impacted you? Oh my gosh. 
There's so many. It's just hard. We only have, you know, we want to tell stories in 90 minutes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's just so hard. And, you know, you want people willing to let you into their lives, you know? Um, they have to be expressive on <laughs> on camera and yes. all of those things. Yeah. So there, there's so many factors. But, yeah, I mean, I talked to one family in New Mexico who also lost a child to suicide. Um, and that family doesn't doesn't make it into the film. We in fact didn't interview and film them, but I was completely moved by that story. You know, this was a kid who has been covered in the media somewhat. Um, an athlete played football was kept from, you know, all of it, all the things he cared about and was passionate about. Um, we just didn't want to necessarily double down on that aspect. Yeah, Cause like yeah. I said, we didn't want it to seem like <laughs> we were catastrophizing. Right. Um, I mean, this did happen, you know, Last year, there were, I believe, over 50,000 suicides in America. I think I'm getting the number right, which is a record high level. Um, the, the, the repercussions are living with us. You know, and that doesn't even include all deaths of despair. You know, so we're seeing a dramatic rise in, in drug overdoses, both yeah. purposeful and accidental. And we do have a family, um, a young girl, a teenager here in Colorado who lost her life to an accidental drug overdose. Yeah. Now, you can say because it was accidental, that's tangential and it wasn't because of closures. But the fact is, when the schools closed, that's when she started to get into trouble mm -hmm. because kids will find community. You know, for adolescents in particular, we took away from them right when they're supposed to be like individuating from their parents, defining who they are on their own terms. And we lock them at home with their parents. <laughs> I mean, 15 year olds should not be with their parents all day. Mm -hmm. Right. They shouldn't. They should be out getting in a little mischief and, you know, playing sports and doing what they do and building their own identity outside of the home. Yeah. And we didn't allow that. And they will find it. Two, two um, young people, girls in the film talk about that. Like they're going to find community and friends. And if we take it away in a positive environment, they will find it in a negative environment. Well, and, and, and I, this is not something where I want to say that the, the trans world is necessarily a negative environment, but we do see that it exploded. It, it, it seems to be right about the time that kids were home with their devices and TikTok and all these influencers on TikTok, suddenly everyone was saying, well, I don't know what gender I am. Maybe I am not my gender, you know, now. And eating the, disorders as well. And, and eating disorders, which you and I are both all too familiar with. Yeah. And that, yes, the, the anorexics on film, all this kind of stuff that was out there. So like you said, finding community w that parents necessarily couldn't tap into because it was a kid like this with a phone and TikTok or Instagram or whatever it was, uh, finding new friends, new acquaintances, people that invited them into their worlds where yeah. they could be a little mischievous or figuring out who and what they were. And it's, yeah. we are living in weird times. It, it's since, true. It, uh, really. I'm, I mean, if a child is depressed and anxious, they yeah. will look for a solution to that. I mean, you know, I think about my own adolescence and I had an eating disorder. I was anorexic and then bulimic and, and mine was brought on by sports. And I mean, we were literally required to be, you know, like we were weighed in multiple times a day, yeah. but it extended beyond my time in sport. And I was dealing with depression and anxiety and it felt like that was the simple solution, right? Like if I can just, it blocked the world out. If I can manage my caloric intake and weigh 80 pounds, then everything yep. will be okay. 
which is obviously absurd and ridiculous. And so, you know, I think in some ways, um, gender ideology and transition, you have a group of kids who are isolated, alone, anxious, and depressed. And that's like the solution being offered. Because it it is kind of like a religion in some ways, you know, it's, it's got this sort of zealotry to it. You and I both were anorexic and not to go too far afield on this, but um, just to, to demonstrate to people the lingering effects, I consider myself an, an, an ever recovering anorexic. I don't think it ever leaves you. I don't, I think you can get back to a healthy weight and a healthy lifestyle, but it still preoccupies me every day. What do I weigh? What am I eating? Interesting. What, you know, how do I look? Do you feel that way at all? I, it's interesting you say that because I actually don't. Oh, um, but you. the way you're describing it, it's almost like addiction. And I do think an eating disorder can behave like an addiction. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. an obsessive compulsive behavior. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, it took me a long time. But I think by the time I had my second child, I stopped doing that. And I don't know why it just sort of, I was like, I realized my body had this other purpose and it just started to seem pointless to me. And I also just felt like rationally, why am I wasting all my time worrying about this? Like men don't do that. And all of that time in my brain it takes is being used up and I could be doing something more productive. God, that's so true. I, I feel a little bit of inspiration right now of you saying that to me because I think about the way that I organize my life around it sometimes. And it is, it's it's like, how many minutes am I spending counting up these calories where I could be really reading or doing something? Anything that's more enriching. But I think you're right. I mean, I have a lot of friends. Look, it was very popular in the eighties, right? Yes, it Um, was. And I certainly have a lot of friends that are, you know, my age, our age, and I still can see it. You know, they live normal lives, but I'm like, that's not, I see her. She's counting in her head. Yeah. I see yeah. what, you know, or yeah. people develop weird, like, oh, I don't eat these things. Like, I think all the food allergies is like a permissible way to have an eating disorder. <laughs> yes. I'm allergic to anything over 20 calories. A, a serving. <laughs> exactly. I'm allergic yeah. to everything but lettuce and tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, the film, here we are today. You and I are talking. It's January 11th, right? Is it the 11th or 12th? 11th. I believe it's the 11th. Okay. It's hard. It's, you know, time is the years. Weird. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, when can people expect, do you think, to, to be able to watch this film in its entirety, to be able to find it? Well, first of all, they should go check out the trailer yes. um, or the sizzle reel, as we call it. It's about five minutes long. And it'll give you a really good sense of the film and the, the, the families and the children and the experts that we talk to as well. You can find it on my website, which is sayeverything.com. We're editing. We have like 100 hours of footage which is a lot, as you can imagine. We want to make, you know, a 90-minute film. So we're in that process now. I would say by the middle of this year, um, we're looking to release it, and we're we're looking for distribution. So, you know, as you and I were discussing earlier, I would really like to see this get broad-reach mainstream distribution. This is not a, you know, a right-wing screed. This is about kids, which never should have been political in this whole mess. And, you know, I want everybody, we're really thinking about an audience that has all kinds of views, you know, maybe they were pro lockdown, maybe they were pro, but they changed their mind because they saw their own kids. Maybe they were always against it. There's, there's something in here for everyone. And I would just encourage people when they watch it, just listen to these children, listen to what they went through and see if that impacts the way you think about what we did. And not, not only about what we did, but as you said, 
it, it, it should serve as a, a backdrop for how we look ahead. And, and should anything like this rear its ugly head again, how we handle it and, yeah. and, you know, how we calculate our decision-making, what, what kinds of things do we take into account? Because but it I isn't, like, go ahead. It, but I feel like it's in the arsenal now. Like it's a permissible thing to do to close schools. Like I'm sure you saw just the other day, there's a high school in New York yes. that's being closed for virtual learning because there's um, uh, migrants being housed in the school. Why is that even on the table? Right. I mean, I, take immigration, you know, all of that out of it. I don't want to even talk about that. But like, why is a school, a public high school on the table? It, it's like you said, it sends this message that kids don't matter. There are empty federal and state business you know, facilities all over the country. There's a yeah. lot of empty space, but we automatically go to a school. Now, part because of that, I'm sure, is because it has restrooms and it has a cafeteria and it has all this space. Fine. There are other places like that. We don't need to put the students and you're sending that message that, you know, right. you're sacrificable in this kind of work. That's you, right. Put them can, in a stadium, a sports stadium. There we put go. Anywhere. You know, pause on sports. That's less important. I mean, it's it's important, but it's less important than a child's education. Yeah. So it's it again. You're exactly right. It is. They are the most disposable. They matter least. And and we know virtual didn't work. And yet it's now in the sort of arsenal. It's in the toolbox. So it's yeah. a permissible thing to do. Yeah. Um, schools are closed for spare the air days in places like California. No, no school closures. In fact, longer days open in the summer. We need these kids back on track. They need extra tutoring. They need more help, not less. It is, it, it's unconscionable at this point to close the schools for any reason. And I'll just end with this note. I've been kind of singing this from the rooftops because in my own little way, I would really like to help. I've got, yes, I've got two kids at home very much like yours who have what they need. So I've been looking for ways to help kids who don't necessarily have what they need. And I went to go to try tutor kids in reading. There's a company, an organization called readingpartners.org. And yeah. to go through the up onboarding to become a tutor, you are told right from the get-go that America is a racist country. And that's why kids who are brown and black are less likely to be able to read. And so therefore, you have to look at this through a DEI lens and you must acknowledge your implicit biases if you're going to help these kids to read. And really, all I want to do is help a kid to read. read. Yeah, I, they can't read because we abandoned phonics as the way to teach children to read yeah. and because they weren't in school for 19 months. Like, I'm sorry. And, That's and, horrible. And, and now you want me to say that because I think peanut butter and blank means peanut butter and jelly, that, that I'm in, I have implicit biases. I'm not kidding. That was one of the things that we were told. So, uh, yeah, I abandoned readingpartners.org and I recommend other people do too. And maybe we can find a way to start a better way to tutor these kids. But I think it's great you're doing that. I I'm mean, trying. I think you, yeah, I, I, that's what I tell people like in your own way, with your own skill set, try to find a way to do what you can. There's this yeah. amazing organization that we interview here in Colorado called Zero Dropouts and they existed before COVID, but they're a lot busier now. And what they do, and they, they exist in Greeley, which is a very, um, uh, there's a lot of immigrants in this community. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of kids whose, you know, parents didn't graduate high school, definitely didn't graduate college. So they don't even have that model. These people, I mean, they are doing God's work. They go door to door. They work with the school district. They find out who hasn't shown up to school. They go door to door to get them to come back. 
they on average need to visit 10 times before someone will even answer the door. Wow. And then they have to meet with the child. They have to build the trust. And then they counsel the child to help get them back on track. I mean, this is amazing work they're doing. I wish we had something like this across across the country. Wow. Um, I'm sure there's different organizations. Find one like that. Work for an organization like this. Yeah. You know, but I think what you do in getting the word out that it's still a problem is really important. So well, hopefully we, you and I can influence more people. You certainly will with this film. Folks, go watch the, the, the sizzle reel, the trailer, however you want to call it. Say, say everything.com and it's S-E-Y. Yes. You can find Jennifer Say on Twitter and Instagram. We've been showing you her handles. Go check it out. This is a film that has to be seen. It has to be finished and then it has to be distributed and it has to be seen. And as she said, it doesn't come at you from a right or a left wing perspective. This is a film about kids, about what they endured about the generational impact and how it should be a, a, a cautionary tale about how we proceed. Heaven forbid, should there be a next time? Jennifer, it's always so great to catch up with you and I know we will do it again. Let us know how things are going. Thank you, Michelle. It's nice to see you too. She's terrific. She is Jennifer Say. Find her at sayeverything.com, right? Not Yes.com. I always want to make sure I get the little thing there right. She is always being brave and doing good, and I recommend you do the same, and we will see you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.